You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. But we want to get right into the word of the Lord. Amen. And uh, I direct your attention to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. And we are going to finish the last part of the chapter tonight. And if you're new here, or if you haven't been around for a while, we've been walking our way through the book of Corinthians. First Corinthians is a rich, rich passage of scripture and uh, navigating a lot of disturbances, um, a lot of issues in the church. And it really just pertains so much to life and it's so relevant, even though it's you know, nearly 2,000 years before us, it is so relevant to where we are at today. And we've seen that over the last few weeks, specifically in chapter number 11, dealing with uh, understanding who we are before the Lord and how we worship God together corporately and publicly. And Paul segues right from that portion of Scripture, which is often dismissed. We spent three weeks uh, an unbalanced amount of time on verses 2 through 16, and I felt it necessary because this is something that uh, has been a great point, what we covered uh, in chapter 11 with regard to uh, uh, what a lot of people would say is the hair, hair issue is really so much more than the hair issue. It's more deep, it's deeper than that. And we've simplified it and reduced it down to that and missed the point often. And people have done the resulting or have lived out in practice, if you will, the result of what Paul argues, but they've done so not understanding why they're doing it. And that always lends yourself to um, both, uh, well, just bitterness and abuse. And so we really have to have a good understanding. So I took three weeks uh, maybe, maybe too long, some would say too long. Some, some may be sitting here, you still didn't get it. I, I, I don't know. Um, no, I don't know. Uh, so it was important to go through because what Paul is talking about when he transitions here is he's talking about their worship corporately and why this is important because, and this is so key, that people at the church in Corinth had issues with one another. They had issues with one another. Everything is spiritual, as Paul lets us know, as we looked at and pulled it back to. Everything is spiritual. And how we even worship, how we even present ourselves in worship when we gather together as brothers and sisters before Christ. This was literally what Paul is saying, is so important. And when you don't understand who you are in Christ, and you don't understand who Christ is, and you don't understand the roles that you're playing, and the typology that's being played out here, well... It's really easy to abuse one another and to be mean to one another. And so he segues from something that seemingly has nothing to do with, with, with each other from talking about headship and hair to eating the Lord's Supper. Now, what do these things have to do with each other? What does hair have to do with eating? I definitely don't want to find hair in my food when I'm eating. Amen? Like, 
These things couldn't be farther from the truth, but yet here Paul segues them together. So we're going to look at this for the next few moments tonight. Let's bow our heads and ask the Holy Ghost to help us because his word is powerful, but we need to open up our minds and our hearts to receive it. Would you pray with me? Lift your voice together. Lord, in heaven, we thank you tonight for gracing us with your presence, God, allowing us the liberty to join together. Thank you for the gift of your word, the power of your spirit. And I pray as we open up your word tonight that our hearts and our our minds would be open to receive. I want you to speak into my spirit, speak into my soul, encourage and strengthen and edify tonight, God. Correct and and uh, uh, sure up, God, those loose foundations of our life that we can be planted on the rock, on the word of God. And we ask all of this tonight in your powerful name, in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. 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 Let's go now to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. And I'm going to ask our... Uh, beloved reader tonight, just to read through some, some passages of Scripture, and then we will come back, if you will, we will come back and walk through this. But let's begin reading at verse number 17, and we'll go verse 17, read all the way through verse 22, if you will, for me, just to start us off. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you can't come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you come together, therefore, in one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, every one taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. Okay, now, P Pastor Ryan has a much softer, kinder voice than probably the tone that Paul was taking here. It probably was stronger. And, and that's, not a, that's not an indictment on him, but it's hard to take that tone. But you can sort of catch what Paul's saying here when he starts out and says, I praise you not. And, and this is a bold statement. He says, when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. You know what's really bad? When the apostle says, it'd be better if you guys didn't even get together for church. I mean, most every pastor and preacher I know is saying, you got to go to church, get to church, get to church. Paul's saying, ah, maybe this would be better if you didn't come to church. <laughs> so you know it's pretty bad. So he's talking about the Lord's Supper. He's talking about how, how, how they're abusing one another. And we're reading, we're reading now in the King James Version, which is, is an older, uh, not, not that it's incorrect, but it was written a few hundred years ago. And English language has evolved a little bit. So when we read it today in 2023, we're probably not grasping it like they would have grasped it back when it was first written, like that community would have. So we'll, we'll break that down. But I want you to read on because we really, we really have to look at this whole, whole portrait to be able to walk into it uh, step by step. He's talking about their abuse of the Lord's Supper and how they are doing this. All right, read on. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. 
After the same manner, also he took the, the cup. When he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord, unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he, eat, he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. Did you ever get in trouble when you were a child and your parents told you, we're going to deal with this when I get home? Did you catch what Paul said here? The rest, I will set in order when I come. So this is a big issue. And he's talking about, he's talking about what's he talking about? Bringing damnation uh, what, what's he talking about? Drinking unworthily? What's he? What's he? Th- these are se- severe things. Judge yourself. I mean, these are big things that he's grasping at. So, let's walk through this if we can, verse by verse, and we'll try to work at this. Now, the first thing we have to note is where we left off, and that was in verse sixteen. After he talks about understanding the divine series, the divine order, that there was God, then Christ, then man, then woman, and. And, and male is not uh, uh, above woman, better than woman. They're equal, but it was talking about and their roles and their relationships and their distinctions. And in that, it plays out even in nature and our created order and our public presentation before all humans, but especially in the body of Christ, men and women. When we come into the house of God, we have to love one another, identify one another as brothers and sisters And we're not going to treat a sister the same way we would treat a brother. And there would be respect and all of that stuff and that how that all plays out. And this is about honoring God and bringing glory to the Lord and not bringing glory to ourselves. And then he closes it out and says, look, he says, uh, uh, if any man seem contentious, we have no such custom, neither the the churches of God. And and basically he was saying, if anyone wants to uh, really be argumentative about this and just wants to uh, uh, constantly uh, uh, pull an issue with this. He said, uh, this is not the attitude and the spirit of other churches. We, we don't allow a spirit of contention. We're not, we're not here to fight. But if somebody gets the spirit where they're just going to fight, 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 fight. Paul said, this is not the church. This is, this is not what we do in the church. And, and it's almost as if he says, it's almost as if he says this. Speaking of contention... And he segues from one point of contention to the next point of contention. And he's going to a totally different topic and a totally different issue, but to another issue where they are disrespecting one another. And in disrespecting one another, they're ultimately disrespecting God. And what they think they're actually doing uh, uh, in one regard is actually achieving the total opposite effect in the other. And... 
He says, now this I declare unto you, I praise you not. I, I praise you not. There is nothing I can commend here on this. And then he says, when you come together, it's not for the better. You're coming together for the worse. Now, most of the time when you come together, it ought to be good for you to come together, right? I mean, uh, uh, if, if uh, people say absent makes the heart grow fonder. If you are in a relationship, any kind of relationship at all, you ought to be able to come together. In a, in a marriage relationship, you can't say, oh, yeah, yeah, we're happily married. I haven't seen her in 20 years. That's, that doesn't work. You, you may think you're happy, but you're not married. That's not the definition of marriage. So, but, but it's not good when two people come together and you say, well, it'd probably be better if you don't come together. That's where we're at here. That's how critical it is. That's how destructive it is. That's how harmful it is. This is not the intent. And he said, Paul says this. He said, I cannot praise you for when you come together as the church. Now, let's keep this in mind because it's amazing that Paul even gives them the, 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 uh, uh, the grace that they are even the church or that they're saved. <laughs> I mean, it's a wonder that Paul's even talking to them like they're in the church at all. They're so problematic. Paul says it's better when you don't come together. But here when you come together, it's for the worst. So now he goes on and he says, for first off, okay, when you come together in the church, I hear there be divisions among you, and I partly believe that. Now, he, he's talking about these factions that are going on, rumors. Has anybody ever, I, I try to live by this principle that I heard a long time ago, and that was believe nothing that you hear and only half of what you see. It's a good principle. I always try to live by that because... You're never going to hear the whole story, first of all. And you only hear one person's perspective. And then when you see what you think you see, you don't even see because you're only one perspective and you can't see everything and you can't know everything. So have a little bit more humility and all that. So Paul now has heard enough stuff that Paul says, I'm hearing all these divisions. Well, with everything else that is going on, all of the signs are pointing to the same direction, the same issue. Paul says, yeah, I'm, I'm believing that this, this is the problem. When you come together, this is beyond my comprehension that you are so divided that there is no unity, there's no brotherly love, there's no bond. Everything is a division. Now, we are in chapter 11, and division has ceased or has not ceased to be an underlying thread in every single chapter that we have walked through. There has been division, there has been contention, there has been problems. Every problem in the church is a people problem. In fact, I'd pro propose to you that every single problem you have in your life is ultimately a people problem. Right? You don't have a money problem, you have a people problem. You don't have a keep your job problem, you have a people problem. Nobody's going to help me preach on Wednesday night, right? You don't have a marriage problem, you have a people problem. You don't have a child problem, you have a people problem. Everything can be re reduced down to a people problem. Now, whether it's you or it's the people, that's a different story. So here we look at Corinth, we come to Corinth, and it is a people problem mess everywhere. So guess what? You're in good company if you have the people problem. And as bad as your people problems are, well, they're pretty bad here. And here's a path forward. And Paul is giving us these path forwards. He's giving us these wisdoms of God, and he's looking at 
at the church here, and he said, when you come together to worship, when you're coming together in corporate worship, he said, you come together, there is more division. This should be a place that is unified, but there is more division in the church, so much so that it would be better if you did not come together. Now, God help us if we ever get to the place to where when we come together as a church for a church service, we do more harm than good. God help us, whatever, however that looks, however that is. This ought to be a place where we encourage one another, where we love one another, where we edify one another, where we admonish one another. We don't expect one another to be perfect. We don't expect one another to be the Messiah. We worship a true and a holy God. We don't, we don't worship one another. So don't be a disillusion when you see problems in the pew next to you. But we, 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 we come together, we're, we're, we're serving the Lord. So they have, this, they have this problem here, okay? So let's, let's read on here in verse 19. For there also, he said, for there must be also heresies among you. Now that, that old word heresies, we, we think now just false doctrine, but probably what he's making this appeal here is differences and ideas and thoughts, heresies, factions. Other translations would translate this as factions, or divisions, someone just reused that word there, divisions, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. That's, that's, that's hard to sort of pull out of there, but what we, would, what we would say that this is meaning is that there are divisions among you in the church, and those divisions, those separations, those distinctions within the church are ultimately manifesting who the real Christians are and who the real Christians are not. So sometimes there is going to be separation within the church and, and there's going to be a settling and you're going to see, you're going to see that separation in spiritual maturity, in life, uh, people that grow and people that don't grow. The Bible says that there will be tares that grow up with the wheat. When they're small, you can't tell the difference. When they're young, you can't tell the difference. When they're, when they're young, you, you may see it and identify, but when you pull that up, you're going to mess it up. But if you'll wait and let maturity come, what happens? You're going to tell the difference between the tares and the wheat. You're going to tell the difference between what has fruit and, and, and you see the weight of that fruit versus the tares, the weeds that are, they're going to stick out like a sore thumb. And, and this is what happens. So sometimes you see these things manifest. Now he gets to the issue over which, the next issue over which there's divisions in the church. And the next issue in verse 20, when you come together, therefore, in one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Now, we have to do a little bit of investigative uh, research and study here, cultural things to try to figure out how the church would have looked. We do know how it would have looked and, and to sort of come and maybe fill in the gaps the, the background of this, when you come together, he said, therefore in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in eating everyone taketh before other his own supper, and one is a hungry, and another is drunken. And then he says in verse 22, what, have ye not houses to eat or drink in, or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not, or the poor? What shall I say unto you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. So, Apparently, what's going on here in the, in the New Testament church, they didn't come to a church like we would have here in, in Corinth when, when the church was created. They would have met in homes and houses, and they would have gathered together. They would have been cast out of the synagogues, and they would have been pushed out of those places. So the Christians were gathering together, and they would gather in places that could house them. And so by, by uh, uh, just sheer logistics, it was usually someone that was more affluent that would have had a larger space that could house them. 
And so perhaps what it looked like would they would be going to someone who had a large house, who had a courthouse or whatever, and they would come and they would gather uh, uh, when they would come together for church. And as they ought to have been doing when they came together, they ought to have been gathering together to worship, to read the word, and to partake in the Lord's Supper, the remembering the commemoration of the Lord's death, his sacrifice. But yet when they came, he said, you're not doing this. He said, what's ac- actually happening here is there are, there are people that are gathering together and, and, and wherever this place is, whoever's house this was, there is this distinction between the haves and the have-nots. And Paul directly addresses this when he says this, that you would shame them that have not. He's literally talking about the distinction between the wealthy and the poor. And the wealthy would come in, they're coming into the house, well, they, they had stuff. So they, they would bring their food and they would eat their food and they would drink and they would be hungry and they wouldn't wait on anyone else. They wouldn't share with anyone else while those that were poor would sit out there and they wouldn't have anything And they would sit around and they would call this getting together for church. And in the body of Christ, as they gathered for worship, the same divisions that existed outside in the world and some even even not so existed in the church. And in the church, there was this tear of who was here and who was here. And it literally played out with their wealth. It played out to who they had accepted and who they had rejected. Paul is writing in Rome, uh, or, or rather he writes to the Roman church while he's at Corinth. And when he writes in the book of Romans, we can read some of the things that identifies what's going on in Corinth. And we know that there were, by, by the letters that he wrote, we know that the church was a a uh, a broad scope of people. It was an incredible kaleidoscope of the community. You had in the church, you had the Jews, you had the Gentiles, you had the religious pious, you had the, the pagan, you had the wealthy, you had the poor, you had by, by some of the sins that he named, you had the murderers and the, and the idolaters and you had the adulterers and you had the prostitutes and you had male and female uh, 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 People that had issues uh, in their life, uh, uh, um, you, you know, the, the, uh, he talks about homosexuality, he talks about all kinds of things that are going on. He even talked about that one of the, uh, the city treasurer was converted, a high up political figure in this, in this uh, Roman uh, uh, culture was converted. So it was very possible that when you walked into Corinth into a worship service into the same household, you could have within the church, baptized in the church, you could very much have both a convict and the one who convicted him. That was how incredible the revival was that took place. But this massive growth left here uh, uh, began to settle into the same social classes within the church. And here's what you had in Corinth. Of course, there's very much a hierarchy in the pagan cultures, but just like it is in the world today, a sinner can go get drunk in a bar and the rich sinner can get drunk right next to the poor sinner. But yet when they came into the church... Paul says, not even in the church. You're not even sitting together. You're not even sharing together. There's more division here. Sometimes 
There can be in certain places, if we're not careful, the church can just become a social club. And it's a wonder why people get offended, get hurt, and they can't see Christ for all the stuff in front of it because they go out there. Now, now it's a lie from the pit of hell that tells you there's more outside in the world. But people go out there because, well, I could go hang out with people that aren't like me and we could just be miserable together. And the rich and the poor share the same cells in prison. Well, sometimes, not always. Right? But in the church, there was more division. And Paul says, this is so, this is so harmful. He said that it would be better. What I'm hearing is so bad. What I'm seeing is so bad. He said it would be better if you weren't even coming together as the church. Now, you think, you think you've gone to a bad church? You think you've been hurt in a church? This is how bad it was right there in this situation. And Paul says, everyone comes in before another. He's eating his own supper. You're not even waiting on one another. You're just coming in. And your approach when you come to the worship service, he says, is it's all about you. Get this. Now, is this relevant to us or not? When you come together in a worship service, he said, you're coming and it's all about you. There's this selfishness that's there. It's all about you. One is hungry and another is drunken. And he said, you're making a mockery and here's someone over here that's hurting. And you won't even bless them. It's a shame when we come to the house of the Lord and we tell God, I'll love you. And we'll, give, we'll, we'll pull out our checkbook and we'll give hundreds of dollars or whatever it is that we're giving to God. Bless God. Look, I'll do this. But we cannot even extend a measure of grace. Or a loving, how you doing? To somebody that doesn't set right with you. And Paul said it would be better if you didn't come together than to have these divisions in the church. And look what he says. What? Have you not houses to eat and drink in? Or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say? Shall I praise you in this? He said, I praise you not. Let me read this in the, in the MEV. 1 Corinthians 11 and 21 in the modern English. He said, for in eating, each one eats his own supper ahead of others. One goes hungry and another becomes drunk. There was a mass separation between who had and who didn't. The ESV says in 21, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. And then in verse 22 in the modern English version, it says what? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing I'm going to tell you, we are all level at the foot of the cross. Our money, our achievements, what we've done, where we've been, who we belong to, who we know, who, who we have connections with, we are all level at the foot of the cross. And I, I can worship the Lord next to somebody that's put together and got it all together, and I, can, I ought to be able to worship the Lord next to somebody that doesn't have it all together. I ought to be able to love some, amen? There's room, we sing it, there's room at the cross for you. Well, we know there's room at the cross, but is there room on the pew? We know there's room at the cross, but is there room in the parking lot? We know there's room at the cross, but is there room at this altar? Is there room at this place? Or do we have to, or do we want to walk certain people out? No, no, you, you know what, or... Or do we have to tell, no, you know, there's a good church down here. You need, no, 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 no. 
We are all level at the foot of the cross. And if the Lord led them here, then God had a reason for leading them here. And we ought to receive them. It's not your church. It's not my church. It's his church. Do we despise the church of God? No, it's his church. Do we shame them to have nothing? Do we run after? No, I'm going to tell you, if, we, if a celebrity walked in this door, we ought to be no more welcoming to them than we are to someone that is unknown. We ought to be just as, un, we ought to be just as welcoming, as loving, as unassuming about somebody that we don't have a clue who they are, that we've never met, amen, than somebody that we know. Is this all right? You know, when I, when I moved here, Yadier Molina still lived right up the road here. And I think everybody in here knows who he is. Um, and uh, he was, he had posted on Instagram, I think it was. I hadn't been here very long. And he had posted, he was out for a jog and he was literally running down Old Collinsville Road. If he walked into this church on a Sunday, and I don't know if he's watching, I'm not picking on you, Mr. Molina. You're welcome here. But if he walked in here, it's our natural inclination. I know, it's, you're not a bad person for thinking this, but it's our natural inclination that many of you would want to walk up and get his autograph. Some of you would probably let him sign your Bible. <laughs> but if he walked in here, he ought to be received and welcomed, and you ought to not do what you would normally do because he didn't come here to sign autograph. And I'm just, I'm just picking on him because he's, he's just a, a popular name that used to live in this community. I mean, somebody jogging. It's possible. Where, where is somebody like that supposed to go when they're hungry for the Lord? When a celebrity walks in, we ought not be, ooh, ah, look at them, as if their repentance means more, as if them sitting on the pew validates me more as a Christian. A celebrity being here doesn't validate me more as a pastor. A celebrity being here doesn't validate you more as a church member and say, well, look who comes to my church. No, you are just as validated when the drug addict walks in from an overnight high, spared life, coming in, gives his heart to God, and God saves them and redeems them. Because that's the redemptive power of God. That's the redemptive power of God. So this is what Paul is actually speaking against. Social, class, preconceived things, Racial things, racial things, and, and for whatever reason, if, you know, sometimes the unknown to somebody is uh, uh, people get shy and fearful, but I'm going to tell you, you have to overcome all those natural inclinations, and you have to crucify your flesh. Now, we hear so much preaching about uh, we hear so much, and I say preaching, I use that word term loosely, in the world. We hear so much, you know, uh, vehement hatred against this stuff. If you, you are a natural human being, you have a fallen nature. There will be times in your life, whether it's racial prejudice, social prejudice, personal prejudice, Whatever fits into that demographic of prejudice, however that is, maybe your own personal experience with certain people, somebody did you wrong and somebody else reminds you of that person and it's, it's not social, it's not racist, something else, 
and all of a sudden you have, you have a resistance or whatever, you have to overcome that. You crucify your flesh. Paul said, I die daily. So when you have thoughts or hesitations, you let the Spirit of God give you strength over those things. You, does anybody else besides me rebuke their flesh? I rebuke my flesh. I take control of my flesh. Don't think that. Don't, don't let that spirit get on you. No, that's wrong. And I, I, I talk to myself a lot. It's, it helps me out. I don't know if it'll help you out or not, but I'll quote scripture to myself. This is what you got to do. This is who you are. Let the spirit of the Lord lead you. You know what? You see somebody and you think, oh man, I don't, I don't want to deal with them today. I don't want to deal with that person. Okay, no, why am I here? Why are they here? And, and you have to overcome that. The church isn't perfect. There's going to be problem people in the church. There's going to be problem people in the church. People go through seasons. How many of you have ever been a headache to someone else? Come on, if we just be honest enough. There's been seasons in my life where maybe I was someone else's headache. So show grace, show compassion and love. And we've got to do this in the body of Christ. If we don't love one another next to us, make a point. Now, I'm, I'm getting forgetful. I blame it on COVID. I may forget your name. If I forget your name, it doesn't mean I don't love you. But I make a point. I want to know everybody's name. Now, I have to remember their name. That's becoming a harder problem. But you can go over to someone and introduce yourself. Hey, how are you doing? I'm so-and-so. I haven't had a chance to meet you yet. It's just great to have you here. We're not a massive church. How can we expect people to come in from the outside if we can't just love people that are already here on the inside? And this is what Paul is saying. And then there's some people that they may have a handicap and their social handicap is they are terrified of meeting new people. So if they don't come and meet you, that doesn't mean they don't like you. It may mean they have a handicap. You know, there are people like that, that are terrified of that. And so you could extend something. You show love and you show compassion in this. Is this all right tonight? Am I boring you? Is this okay? All right, so let's go on here. Let's read on. Verse 23, and we come to the Lord's Supper. And we've talked about the Lord's Supper before. Read, verse 23. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. Yes. That the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. All right. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. So here we have him reading the story or, or, or retelling the story that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record as what we know is the Last Supper when before the Lord's body was taken, before, they went, uh, uh, before he went to the garden, before he was arrested, before he was crucified, um, they had met previously. It was coming up on the Passover. The Passover was coming. He told them to go find a place there, and uh, 
They went together, and now the Lord does something around. Before the Passover, the Lord institutes the Passover, or, or the Lord's Supper, rather, a new covenant. It's a significant thing that takes place. And this is what Paul is alluding to. Now, the Passover, without taking a lot of time, that's a whole study in and of itself. The Old Testament Passover was a type and a shadow to come of the Messiah, of Jesus Christ himself, who would become our Passover, uh, our Passover lamb, if you will, who would become the sacrificial lamb, who, when the Passover was first instituted, it was while the children of Israel were in bondage, they were in Egypt, and the, the nine plagues had already come. The tenth, the tenth that was coming is the death of the firstborn of every household that did not have blood applied. The atoning blood, a sacrifice, a penalty for sin applied to the doorpost, the threshold of the house. And so the Israelites, they followed this command from this, this God, I am that I am. But the Egyptians scoffed at it. No, we have our own uh, uh, we have our own religion. We have our own faith. We're not going to do what you lowly, abominable shepherds are doing. And so you slaves. And so the Israelites were the only ones that did this. And in every uh, household in Egypt, the, the firstborn would die. But for the Israelites, there was, they would take a, a, a lamb and they would take the lamb and they would put the blood on the doorpost. And there was a whole ritual that went with this. They were to eat the, they were to cook the lamb. They were to eat it. Uh, uh, not only uh, the lamb, but they were to take the unleavened bread. It had no yeast, no rise. And uh, for those of you that make bread, you know you make the bread and you have to sit and you have to wait for it to rise. But they were to make a bread that could be made in the moment. It could be swift. There was no waiting. They were to eat that, take that unleavened bread. And then they, they had a whole meal that they would take. And there was significance in all of that. But they were to eat while they were clothed. They were to be ready to go. And this Passover, the, the Lord would pass over them. And as he would pass over, the Bible says in the Old Testament that he literally would put a cover and he would withhold. He would put a withholding on them. And he, as he would pass over them, there was, a, there was a, a saving there. And the Lord would go over and all the firstborn of the Egyptians household passed away and they left. And every year after that, God instituted, you are to commemorate the Passover. And the Passover was was literally every year they would observe it, they would tell the story of how they were brought out of bondage. And they were brought out of bondage by being obedient to the word of the Lord, by having atoning blood put on, on the doorposts, by being in the moment that they put that blood was applied, they were already dressed and ready to go. They weren't lingering. They weren't waiting. They had unleavened bread. They were ready to go. They were ready to march into the new territory from that moment. That Passover was also a type of what was to come. Jesus Christ himself would become our Passover lamb. He would become the mediator. He would be the one who, when his blood was shed, his blood, amen, not the blood of bulls and goats, not the blood of that, that lamb, but his blood, the only spotless lamb. And the significance of that was when he was born, the, the angels told the shepherds, you will find him wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And those, those shepherds of those temple sheep, they would go throughout the field when, when all of the, 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 the little lambs would be born. And they would look for that, those sacrificial, those lambs that were 
that were uh, uh, ready for sacrifice and they would take them and they would set them up. And so when they came, here was Jesus. He was not just a baby, but he was typified of that sacrificial lamb as a child. There was significance right there. He would become the sacrificial lamb, the mediator of our sins, the one who, amen, when the blood was applied, amen, judgment was appeased, amen, the justice of God, amen, was appeased. It was satisfied. And, 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 and there would be life there. And, and, and Christ comes and he's literally sitting before them and he's letting them know. He's letting them know what's about to happen. It hasn't taken place yet, but he institutes this supper, letting them know that when you have been, your whole life, he's talking to J- Judean Jewish men, young men who their whole life had observed the Passover. He said, from this point on, when you take the unleavened bread, he said, and you break this, this isn't just isn't just bread. This is typifying of my body, which is going to be broken. They didn't understand yet what he was even talking about. They would still, they would still renounce him and say, no, it's not going to happen. And, and he said, when you drink the cup, this typifies of the blood that will be shed. They didn't know in the moment that night, they did not understand what would happen if they knew they wouldn't have fallen asleep while the Lord was in the garden praying. But he takes them out. He falls asleep. It doesn't come together until after they see his body taken and beaten and broken and hanging on a cross. And they see all of a sudden the spear thrust in his side and outflows that water and outflows that blood. There it was shed, the blood that ran down his backs by his stripes. Isaiah prophesied we are healed as, as the crown of thorns was punctured into his head the blood that would run down there was signif- significance there the signifying that what he went through the suffering that he went through like a lamb led to the slaughter he did not curse he did not swear as they would beat and bruise him nail him to a cross when he finally would cry out it was in mercy father forgive them for they know not what they do. And that moment was so overwhelming that a hardened Roman centurion who had seen the execution of hundreds of criminals before, but never had he seen one be crucified and not repel with cursings and swearings and in angers. But this was the soft, compassionate mercy and grace of God. And in that moment, the centurion said, surely this is the son of God, because no son of man would have responded like this. No human being would have stayed so silent. Surely this is the son of God. And when the disciples left that moment after they saw his resurrected body, they watched him ascend up into heaven and he gave them a command. Do this in remembrance of me. For thousands of years, they had been partaking of the Passover. What? In remembrance of what God did in Egypt. But Jesus said, no, Egypt isn't the focal point. I am. When you do this, 
You're not just celebrating your liberty and the fact that you walked out with a little more gold in your pocket than when you came in. When you do this, you do this because I did what no one else could do. I bridged the gulf from heaven to earth. I came down and was the perfect atoning sacrifice for your sins. Do this in remembrance for me. And so when they would gather together as a Christian church in the early church, they would gather together. They would partake in the Lord's Supper. They would take the bread and they would take the, the fruit of the vine and they would drink and they would eat it together and they would partake of it as the Lord commanded. But they had made it a mockery. They had turned it into a buffet for those who have and the have-nots. They couldn't have anything and there was division. And instead of allowing this to represent the gospel of Jesus Christ, when they gathered together, it actually renounced the gospel of Jesus Christ because the gospel tells us that we're all sinners. The gospel tells us that we're all level at the foot of the cross. The gospel tells us that this is for whosoever will. The gospel tells us that there's no restriction. But when they were coming to church, they were saying, no, you, you, you're going you're gonna to settle here and you're going to be up here. Oh, you come up here and here. This is, we got special places and special reserves here. And oh, you don't have anything. You've got to stay there. No, that is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. We cannot be party to a fellowship, to a body, to an assembly to a church that preaches any other gospel, amen, than the gospel of whosoever will. Let him come and drink of the waters of life that I have to give. That has to be, that has to be our focus. Paul says what I'm seeing is so, it's so harmful and so hurting that it'd be better if you weren't even meeting. We have to recognize as the church of the living God that when we meet sinners and we meet people out in the world, sometimes we have to live down things that they've been through and they've seen to prove to them that the church isn't like what they think the church is. Because there are churches out there that shouldn't be out there. There are churches that should, it would be better if they would not gather because they're doing more harm and more damage by their gathering together and people go and they visit and they say, well, there's nothing here for me. Nothing here for me. That's why we have to be careful not to turn church into a show. We can't turn church into a social club. We can't turn church into just something that we do. It's our hobby. No church has to not be about us. It has to be about him. This is what he said. This cup is the New Testament in my blood. Now, there's a lot of things that's going on here. He said, you do show the Lord's death as oft as... As you drink it, do this. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. The Passover was once a year. But Jesus said, this is something you do often. You don't have to do this. This isn't limited. This isn't limited to a calendar. Now, we never have a calendar mandate given to us in Scripture. It's given to us. But as oft as you do this, this is something we are showing the Lord's body till he, till he come. We are showing the gospel of Jesus Christ till he come. Taking communion, what we call communion, partaking in the Lord's Supper, says something. It's important. And Paul says it's, it's important how you gather together, how you partake in this. This is so critical. Wherefore, whosoever, well, let's read in verse 27. Read verse 27, if you will, and I gotta hasten on. 
Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. All right, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to get through this in, in, in 10 minutes here. He said, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink of this cup unworthily. Highlight that, that word. If you have the KJV, you can highlight that word. If you don't have the KJV, which is not, it's not an inaccurate thing, but for us in a modern uh, uh, language, our modern vernacular would, would think, oh my goodness, I can do things that disqualifies, disqualifies me for communion. Well, uh, you, I will tell you this, no one in here is worthy enough. So it's not talking, because we have to be careful if we don't understand this right, we start thinking, well, we start, we start thinking, well, I'm worthy, but maybe, maybe they're not worthy. And then all of a sudden we start thinking, well, well, you know, they're worthy, but they're, yes, no, yes. And we start going around just, and we miss the point. The reason why we're taking communion is because we need a savior. None of us can do this on our own. So ain't none of us worthy. Nobody belongs here. We get to be here. Amen? Is that all right? So what is it saying then when it says you, you, you drink this unworthily? Well, if we were going to look at this in... Uh, and, uh, well, do we have the New King James Version? I know, I know there's, okay, let's do the NKJV in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven. It says it this way. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the blood of the body and blood of the Lord. I think that update, if you will, helps us sort of process a little bit what's saying here. None of us are worthy, but there is a right way and a wrong way to do this. And this is what he's saying. If you come in and you're partaking of the, of the Lord's Supper in a wrong way, he said, you become guilty of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, what is he, what's he mean by that? Well, think about this. When they crucified him, the mobs came out, crucify him, crucify him. They were blind to the fact of what he was doing. He was... Most of them crying crucify him were waiting for a Messiah. But he wasn't the Messiah that they wanted. And so they were crying crucify him and so they missed it. They missed out on what was actually taking place. And he said, later on in verse 29, he's gonna say this, for he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself. Look at the last phrase of verse 29. He says, not discerning the Lord's body. They crucified him. They didn't even know what was going on. They didn't even know what they were doing in that moment. They did not even know what they were doing. Thank God for his grace, okay? Because Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and said, this same Jesus whom you crucified. The people that got the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost were some of the same people that had crucified Jesus. Isn't that refreshing to know that God's grace and mercy is that great? So Paul says, look, when you do this, when you take partake of this in an unworthy manner, when you make a mockery of the gospel and everything the gospel represents, he said, you, you are bringing damnation. You are 
taking what God has given to help you and you're using it to harm. You are inflicting, you are hurting yourself. You're not helping yourself when you're taking the things of God and you're twisting them around. And, and he says, you don't discern the Lord's body. You don't, you're not even discerning the Lord's body. You don't even know what you're doing. And you think, oh, instead of it being something that's sacred, instead of it being something that takes you back to understand the price that he paid. I'm going to tell you, there is no room for proud Christians in heaven. There's no one that's going to get up there and say, you know what? He's really great, but I'm keeping this crown. No, the Bible says we'll cast our crowns at his feet. Lord, Lord I know you're bestowing things upon me, but I, I, these don't belong to me. I'm giving them right back to you. There is no room for, for proud Christian. And so, so this is what Paul is saying. Look, don't do this in an unworthy manner. You're making a mockery of God. You are, you, you are bringing destruction in your own life in such a, a crazy way. The ESV says that whoever therefore eats and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. You step into the same transgression when you abuse what God has given. It's as if you are one of the one in the crowd standing before the Messiah saying, crucify him. And you, don't, you think you're doing God and everybody else a service, and you don't know you're actually bringing damage. You're actually doing harm. You're actually inflicting things. You're guilty of that. Not even see, not receiving what God has for you. So uh, uh, verse 28, what does it say? Verse 28, let's, let's hasten on. But let a man examine himself. But let a man examine himself. So here's the answer. You examine yourself. Am I doing this right? Now, that doesn't mean when I come, that doesn't mean that before I take the Lord's Supper, I have to be perfectly clean. Well, I, I sinned today, so I can't partake of the Lord's Supper. No, the, the reason why I'm partaking of the Lord's Supper is because I need his salvation in my life. So, so that... That theology that, that sort of teaches us misunderstands here and says, oh, you know, well, if you did something and then you took communion and you maybe hadn't repented of everything, there was a sin you didn't know. Has anybody ever committed a sin and you didn't know about it until later on? And then you realized, oh, I mean, you're in good company. David prayed a prayer. He said, God, he said, I'm repenting. He said, but Lord, search me and try me. See if, there be, if there's something in me. Let me know because there could be things that I'm doing I'm not even aware that I'm doing. Right. No, he's not saying you, you, you walked in and you didn't know you were doing something. Of course you, you don't always know you're doing something. And then you partake of the Lord's Supper and now, aha, because you did that, you can never, you are, you are in eternal damnation for life. No, that is not what he is saying here. Okay? But examine yourself. Look within yourself. Now, if you know you're making a mockery of everything and you're going to still go on and pretend like you're a Christian, there's no hope for you. If, if, the, if you won't accept the gospel of Jesus Christ and you won't accept the word of God and you won't accept the power of the Holy Ghost working in your life, there is no other option. Do you understand what I'm saying? There is no other option. It's, it's repentance. It's baptism. 
It's the Holy Ghost. It's living by the word of God. If that's not good enough for you, there is no other alternative. And it's not on your terms and my terms and my way. No, it's according to his will, his way. I have to crucify myself. Okay, so let's read on, read on. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Okay. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself. Right, we just talked about that. Not discerning the Lord's body. Right, go on. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you. Oh man, we are running out of time. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you. So so here's what Paul is saying. Let's not add to what's happening here. Let's look at what he's saying. He says that there are literally people in the body of Christ that are sick and some that have passed away because they did not avail themselves to what God gave them and they took what God gave them and they abused what God gave them and it brought them to a certain place that they didn't have to be. What Paul does not say is he does not say for this cause all are sick. He said many are sick. Some sleep, many many die, some die early. They didn't have to die, but they died. Uh, they didn't live the way they should have lived. And, and so this happened. But this is a bad, bad place to, to, to stand and believe that every time you get sick, it's because there's sin in your life. Okay? There were people during COVID. I won't name any names, but the Bible does say, know them that labor among you. And YouTube and Facebook have been a great revealer of people that were out there declaring, this is the judgment of God. And then good people started dying. Be careful where you get your theology and all that stuff. What did Job do wrong? That theology doesn't work. And it does more damage than help. And it'd be better if you'd never preached than for you to get up and preach stuff that does damage. By the way, this is just a side note, not in my notes. This is just extra. I'm not going to charge anybody for this. This is free. You take this, put this wherever you need. File this away. Stop watching every so-called self-appointed prophet that's got an iPhone and a channel. Know them that labor among you. You can't know them because they're halfway around the world. And they're set up in their living room and they look like they're full of the Holy Ghost. And what you don't know is they're hiding beer kegs in their garage. It's happened a lot, folks. That's good preaching. And I'm not apologizing for that because that's the day and I I feel the Holy Ghost. I feel some resistance in the Holy Ghost right here too. That's the spirit of the world that we are fighting. Well, I may have lost some of you, but we weren't on the same page to start with. You got to know them that labor among you. Not everyone that cast out devils is going to be able to walk over there. I don't care how many people are so-called getting the Holy Ghost. How many demons and all that stuff you're casting out? Amen? 
Is this all right? Amen. Don't you worry about anybody else. You worry about yourself. And let the Lord lead you. Well, I probably should just stop. We didn't get to the end, but we'll get there. I love you. And I have a responsibility to preach the truth in love. And, but sometimes you have to draw a hard line. And it's not fair for, uh, well, sometimes Paul had to be plain in those things. And when he was plain, he wasn't plain for the people that, that were already on board. He was plain for the hard-nosed people that wouldn't receive it, wouldn't accept it. So let's not get in such a place that we can't ever accept a hard word. That everything just has to be watered down and easy peasy. Sometimes, you know, we need a little inferno to come up in us and burn away some things in our heart and in our spirit. And uh, amen, amen. Stand together with me tonight. I hope I helped you tonight. I hope the word of God helped you tonight. When we take communion... Amen. The only, the only thing about communion that I would say that prohibits you from taking communion, I would say the thing that prohibits you is communion was for the believers. Communion, the Lord's Supper was not for unbelievers. So when you're partaking of the Lord's Supper, this is, this is for believers, people that have repented, people that have been baptized. There's no, there's no uh, probably uh, biblical definition for an unbaptized believer. So these are people that have made a profession of their faith that are lived to have the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So otherwise you're just eating bread and drinking grape juice. You, you, otherwise it's not really doing anything for you. But when you are a believer and you, you put your faith in that, this is my hope in that. So when I come to communion, I'm not coming worthy, worrying about, oh man, did I get everything right? Did I do everything? Did I pay back everybody? Did I, you know, when I come in and you're trying to figure all that stuff out, no. I'm coming in, Lord, and I'm falling on the cross because I have a debt I cannot pay. And I'm gonna do everything I can to make things right, but there's something, I'm always gonna fall short. And I need the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ to come into my life and to make the difference. And when I do it though, I've gotta do it professing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not my own terms, not my own situations. I feel the Holy Ghost in the house. As our children come down, our youth are gonna join us. Amen. I wonder if we could just lift our hands toward heaven today. I thank you, Lord, tonight for your love. I thank you, Lord, tonight for your spirit. You are a holy God. You are a holy God. You are a holy God. Hallelujah, Lord.